0: All right, welcome back to Aid Arbitration, and today we're going to get into the last sub question of just cause, and that is, was the disciplinary action taken in a timely manner? It's it's one that'll make you pull your hair out because there's there's no real definition of it. Um, some arbitrators don't even consider it. I know that my branch president was in an arbitration once, and and they were hammering. Timeliness and discipline was not issued in a timely manner. And he just basically told the union he don't consider that one. When when management issues the discipline, they issue the discipline, which is absurd uh, and reckless and careless because it's one of the six sub-questions that the parties have agreed to. And so you must take it into consideration. But I've got several sites uh, that I'm going to read to you just to show you where arbitrators are at. You got a month. You got weeks. You got, you know, several months. Uh, they, it's all over the place. Uh, if anybody ever tells you, I, I've seen answers on social media before where somebody's asked a question about timeless, and they say they got 30 days to issue the discipline. There's no such thing. <laughs> there's, there's no such amount of time or amount of days that management has. We have to sell the arbitrator on what we feel like is uh, an unacceptable amount of time. Before we get into that sub-question, let let me just state this. Uh, You can put a lot of work into defending your brothers and sisters. I know that we've had a lot of episodes. This may be number 27, I think, 26, 27. You can put a lot of work into defending your brothers and sisters. You can do everything humanly possible. And we still lose. Do not be discouraged about that. I know I I talked last episode about the losses I've had in arbitration, and you just you're devastated. I mean, you are absolutely devastated uh, because you feel like you let your brothers and sisters down. You got to get over that though, and you got to keep on keeping on. So you can put all the work you you do, you can spend all your time. Defending your brothers and sisters, and still not come out on the winning side. You gotta let that go, and you gotta keep on. All right, don't get frustrated for too long. It's okay, get frustrated a little bit, but uh, and and remember this: this job ain't for everybody. It's a difficult job. It's not for everybody. So you got you got people out there that that this may not be the best job for them. And you can do whatever you can to help them. This, this just ain't for them. It may be, you know, something else may be in their future as far as employment. And also, you can't save everybody. That's some of the best advice I, I was ever given when I was uh, preparing to, to go into arbitration for this gentleman. And, man, this guy was in trouble. I mean, his whole history was trouble. And... And uh, you know, I'm I'm those that you know give me the the unwinnable case, and I want to win it. Well, you get those sometimes. <laughs> you get what you wish for, and uh, and some people you just can't save. Some people you just can't salvage. You do the best you can. You represent the contract. Uh, I think it's always funny when managers it's like you're going to represent that piece of crap. Well, I represent the contract. That's what I represent. Um, Now, I love my brothers and sisters, but I represent that contract, and I'm going to hold you to it. And if you don't do what you should do, or you're required to do, according to Article 16, then I'm probably going to get this piece of trash back. So, uh, but you can't salvage everybody. You can't help everybody. Remember that. We can do the best we can, but some people are just beyond help, beyond our help, all right? Uh, So always remember that. A lot of people... Um, messaging and talking to me about about the podcast and everything and I really appreciate you reaching out I do Uh, but just remember that we can do everything humanly possible everything contractually possible we can find things and we're like this is it this is what's gonna get them back and you're just not able to do it you just can't salvage them so so keep that in mind all right It's a, it's a tough business being a shop steward and a formal A and a B team and a, and a advocate because we're dealing with people's lives and, and it's tough on us, but just do the best you can do. That's all you can can ask of yourself. Do the best that you can do. Uh, Study, 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 and find those things that, that will help us. But at the end of the day, you just can't help everybody. All right? Now, that's depressing. So here we go with this just cause principle. Was the disciplinary action taken in a timely manner? Now, that to me is self-explanatory. Was the disciplinary action taken in a timely manner? That, that simply means that you can't take forever with whatever you're doing to issue a letter carry discipline. And this is what it states below that. Disciplinary actions should be taken as promptly as possible after the offense has been committed. Now, this is where where we're going to hang our hat, okay? Disciplinary actions should be taken as promptly as possible after the offense has been committed. It's not after the investigative interview. It's not after the postal inspector's investigation. It's not after the OIG investigation. Remember that it's after the offense has been committed. So from the time that offense has been committed, management's on the clock, a lot of times, and they'll sell arbitrators on this too. A lot of times, uh, it'll be two months, three months after the discipline and management will say what, well, Hey, uh, we, we had to turn that over to the OIG and they took their time doing their investigation to make sure it was thorough. And then we had to do our investigation after that. And then we requested the discipline and then labor got it. And before you know it, three months went by. That's how they'll sell it to an arbitrator, but it's up to an advocate when he gets in there to sell our position. And that's the reason we have sites and I'll read some of those to you, but always remember, It's after the offense has been committed. That's when management is on the clock. It's not after the investigative interview or management's investigation is completed. It's after the offense has been committed. And that is where we start. Here's here's some sites. I'm going to read to you and I'm going to show you where arbitrators are at. And and these should help you. In my Defenses to Discipline book, it's got three good sites. And I'm going to read all three of them. And then I've got a couple of other sites that I think are, are really good. Now, if y'all are, are on the members page, if you get on the NALC website and you're on the members page, you can go to Arbitrations there. You can find sites on that. that there's I think there's 36 key cases on discipline that was issued untimely. 36 key cases. Look at those key cases and pick you out some very good language. You can, uh, you can plagiarize that language in your template. You can use arbitrators language, plagiarize that, put that in your t- template if it's untimely and, and, and get you some very good language. And it'll also show you kind of where arbitrators are at. If you have a, a situation where a one was issued couple of months, you can find some decisions in there where the arbitrators talk about a couple of months or too late and put those in there and that will help. Our advocates are going to do that anyway. But to me, like I've always said at the informal, I want my contentions to be pristine. I want my contentions to, if, if they left the informal step a meeting, they could go straight to arbitration. That's how I want my contentions because I'm the one who's doing the work. I got 14 days to do this work. I'm going to have me a good template ready. I'm going to address the Just Cause principles and whatever else. And I'm going to have, and I'll go over this in, a, in another episode when, when we're going to tie all this up together and talk about the meeting, the informal a meeting. I'm going to tie all of these things up that we've been talking about and uh, how I handle things going to the informal step A meeting. Everything that I'm going to need, everything that I'm going to show, and I'll have that uh, in another episode, I'm going to do CCA discipline next, but, uh, I'll have that in another episode. I think that'll be beneficial to, especially to new stewards out there. I think that'll be beneficial to you. But anyway, here's the, uh, here's the sites out of the defenses to discipline book. And the first one is case number zero one, two, six, one. And this is one that I use every time in arbitration. I always take this one with me. This is my numero uno. Uh, I love this language and it's a, and it's a good little time period here. Um, but this is the one when I go into arbitration, I'm dealing with timeliness. This is the first one that I'd print out and take with me. It's this one. It's 01261. 01261. And it says this in the usual grievance, a delay in presenting charges can mean the loss of evidence to the aggrieved. Memories fade with the passes of time. Witnesses become difficult to locate so as to reconstruct the events in question. A photograph of the scene taken weeks later may be inaccurate as to the conditions that prevailed on the date of occurrence. In my opinion, a delay of 47 days in presenting a letter of charges is too long, and I find that the employer has violated Article 16 of the National Agreement. That's as beautiful a language as you'll ever get when dealing with timeliness, when management issuing discipline untimely. That language is absolutely beautiful. And I read that every arbitration that deals with timeliness. I read that uh, because I think it's so pretty. Here's another one. Case number 01458, 01458. this is what it states. The Postal Service urges that there is no statute of limitations in the agreement as to when a charge must be brought. That argument misses the point, however, which is that the grievant must be given a meaningful opportunity to respond to and defend against the charges. In this case, given the nature of the offense, the failure to withdraw a piece of mail from the departure case, and the volume of mail normally handled by the grievant. The agreement did not have such an opportunity when he was not given any indication of the offense until almost one month later. So there's one that talks about a month. You got one above that, talks about 47 days. This one talks about a month. Uh, I know that my B team here will generally, gauge, that that's their gauge. They'll kind of say a month-ish is too late. Um, but here's one that talks about any indication of the fence until almost one month later. That that's one that kind of breaks it down, brings it down to about a month. Uh, in my dealings within arbitration, that uh, they don't really consider that, unfortunately, but that's where I would start. A month you're kind of getting untimely. I, I hate the fact that we have 14 days to prepare, to to research, and to do all these things to get a grievance ready. I've got 14 days, but yet management kind of has carte blanche. They, However long it takes them, it takes them. I don't really think that's fair. But, uh, you know, I, I've been condensed to 14 days to do everything that I humanly can to defend someone or to find uh, Article 8 violations or whatever, requesting of information. I've got 14 days, and management really doesn't have any time frame. But here's one of 47 days. There's one that's a month. Here's another one, case number 1504, 1504. This is what it states. It is a fundamental principle in law, as well as contract arbitration, that a party possessed of certain rights must not let them lie fallow, but must act upon them promptly. The agreement in this case gives management the right to discipline and or discharge for just cause. The Postal Service took the position that Grievant had on August 3rd, 1976, committed an offense which might be the subject of discipline. An investigation was begun which was not terminated until January 28th, 1977. In the intervening six months, Grievant continued on the job. While an employee has no need or right to expect to be advised of an investigation unless a contract holds otherwise, he does have the right to expect that the result of the investigation or the charge under consideration will be promptly communicated. If he has committed an offense worthy of punishment by his employer, he must know it promptly after the wrongdoing. This is part of due process or fairness in the employment settling. An unsettled charge must not be kept pending unduly long. Insofar as the action of August 3rd, 1976 is grounds for discipline, the arbitrator concludes that for the Postal Service to have waited six months to finalize the offense and to discipline is unreasonable and contrary to the degree of promptness which is an employee's due. So there is six months, and that's talking about lengthy investigations, like I was talking about earlier. When the postal inspectors, the OIG, get a hold of something, they're going to take their time. And then they're going to give their, their findings to management. And then management's going to conduct an investigation, an investigative interview off of those findings. And then they're going to conclude their investigative interview. And then they're going to request the discipline and send that to labor. Labor is going to get that. And then they're going to write this charge. And they're going to send it back to management. And then management's going to give it to the carrier. And here we are four, five, six months later. To me that violates that just cause principle. It just does. That just cause principle is crystal clear. I'm going to read that just cause principle again. <laughs> Was a disciplinary action taken in a timely manner? Disciplinary actions should be taken as promptly as possible after the offense has been committed. It does not say as possible after the offense has been committed unless. It doesn't say that. And that's what I tell arbitrators. Disciplinary action should be taken as promptly as possible after the offense has been committed unless there is a Postal Inspector's investigation or unless there is an Office of Inspector General investigation or unless management's investigation is taken a long time. It does not say that. It doesn't say that. It says after the offense has been committed, period, period. It ends with a period right there. You know why? Because that's all of it. That's the end of it. So if management tries to, to bull crap us and they'd say, hey, look, this this Postal Inspector, make that contention. That just cause principle does not say unless. It doesn't have that verbiage in it. It does not say unless some situation happened. It doesn't say that. There's a period after that that means that's the end of that it doesn't go on so remember that okay a couple more sites and I'm gonna be done with you on this episode here's an emergency placement this talks about timeliness now, I know I did an episode on sixteen seven a while back and talked about this but here's a good site uh, when it it talks about timeliness as well okay and uh, I did this case this was in 2016 this was down in uh, Selma, Alabama. I went and represented this person. They had gotten, kind of gotten caught up in, in, in uh, some dealings with drugs, handling packages that dealt with drugs. And this was the emergency placement. And we argued this same thing about timeliness. And this is what's so funny about this case. This is really weird. But... I had stayed in, when I go to places, I like to, if they're historic or whatever, I like to generally stay around that because I love that kind of stuff. So I stayed in this this old hotel. You know, remember Selma and the Civil Rights Action? The, the, the bridge that they marched across was, you could see it from, it was the river. This hotel's right on that river. It was pretty sharp, man. It was pretty good. It was pretty neat. So I slept there. I got bit by a spider that night I don't remember anything about this case I remember driving home I was as foggy and groggy and and went to the doctor and he said well you got bit by a spider but I don't remember anything about this arbitration that's terrible we want it but I mean I don't remember anything about it you didn't need to know that but that was uh, it's just weird to me anyway Here's a uh, here's a, here's the decision, and it's 32393. 32393. and it's arbitrator Louise Wolitz, and it's dealing with the emergency placement. But this one talks about timeliness. Okay, if you're dealing with timeliness uh, about a charge that was delayed and an emergency placement, and then I've got a great site about regular just a regular discipline. But she states this on page three, fatal flaw. That's how she starts it, fatal flaw. Arbitrator Mittenthal, in the award cited above, has laid the groundwork for the analysis of this case. He says, the fact that no advance written notice is required does not mean that management has no notice obligation whatever. And I've talked about that a hundred times in these, in these episodes. The employee suspended pursuant to Section 7 has a right to grieve his suspension. He cannot effectively grieve unless he is formally made aware of the charge against him, the reason why management has invoked Section 7. He surely is entitled to such notice within a reasonable period of time following the date of his displacement. To deny him such notice is to deny him his right under the grievance procedure to mount a credible challenge against management's action. Indeed, Section 7 speaks of the employee remaining on non-duty, non-pay status until disposition of the case has been had. That disposition could hardly be possible without formal notice to the employee so that he has an opportunity to tell management his side of the story. Fundamental fairness requires no less. Arbitrator Sobel wrote in a May 18, 1990 award, Within this arbitrator's experience, the normal delay between the time the agreement was sent home, albeit on a non-pay status, to await instructions and the receipt of such a notice ranged from one to three days. In this, in the case before us here, the parties agree that Mr. Johnson was placed off the, off the clock on October 8, 2015, and did not receive notice until November 9, 2015. In its Step B contentions, management even admits that the notice of emergency suspension was not provided to the agreement within a reasonable period of time. Under management position, Joint Exhibit 2, page 8, management says, however, management acknowledges it did not provide written charges within a reasonable period of time, but questions the appropriateness of the remedy sought by the union. Management maintains the proper remedy is to grant Carrier Johnson administrative leave from October 8th. 2015, the date he was placed in an off-duty status until November 9, 2015, the date he received formal notice explaining why management placed him on emergency placement, as the union was unable to effectively grieve the emergency suspension until he received written notice of the charges. This remedy is in line with Arbitrator Sobel's decision cited in the union's contentions. Arbitrator Sobel said, The grievant is Denied. The notice of emergency suspension is properly based. However, the notice was untimely issued, and accordingly, the grievant will be received back pay for the number of working days between August 13th and August 23rd, 1989. Arbitrator Dinehard also upheld the emergency placement of his grievance when she was not given formal notice of the charges within a reasonably short time after she was taken out of service sufficient to permit her to effectively grieve the suspension but paid her for the time. He said, given that I also find that the placement itself was warranted, I'll order that the Postal Service pay the grievance from March 17th when the emergency placement letter was written until April 18th, the day the Union was given formal notice of the basis for the action. We, however, find that admittedly unacceptably long period of time between the placing of the grievance off duty and the issuance of the notice of charges more than one month, has robbed the grievance of his fundamental due process rights under the contract. Moreover, although he was under investigation for a serious charge and had admitted participating in the improper handling of a package containing marijuana and getting paid for his participation, we have no information in this record of who exactly put him off duty immediately and why that person felt that it was an emergency requiring the use of sixteen-seven. The proper remedy is therefore that the 16 7 be revoked because of the violation of Mr. Johnson's contractual due process rights and that Mr. Johnson be made whole for all pay and benefits lost as a result of the issuance. That's a lot of reading, I apologize. But what's that stating there is management stated hey, look, the emergency placement was proper. It was, we didn't give him the notice of charges in a reasonable amount of time. So give administrative leave. For the time that he was out until time that he was put off on emergency placement until the notice period, but he's going to stay on emergency placement. And those are the sites that she quoted there was that the arbitrator said the emergency placement was proper. Now, the, the notice of charges took too long, so you're going to pay him from that period to the notice of charges, but he's going to stay on emergency placement. That That's what she was reading there. And she said, we're not going to do that. When you when you gave him the notice of charges too late, it violated his due process. And if you violate anybody's due process, you wipe out the discipline. So she threw out the sixteen-seven, if that makes sense. Hopefully it does. But that's a great site. That's a great site when you're dealing with untimely charges, on a sixteen-seven. And lastly, I'm going to read another site. This is a great one. And it'll also help you if you if you need help with a template how he does this it's case number two seven three two five a and b because it deals with a removal and emergency placement two seven three two five a and b and it was back in 2007 it's in in front of arbitrator lloyd byers and it's uh, my former business agent pete moss was the raa he came up and did the case and it dealt with emergency placement and removal We'll start on page thirteen, but if you look at that decision, it, when I was talking about templates on the last episode, where you have the just cause principles, he does that in his decision. He talks about the just cause principles, and in this one, he remember when I was talking about is there a rule? Was the employee aware of the rule? Was the employee aware of the consequences for not obeying the rule? He talks about all of that, and, and he had some good language here. I'll read that to you. However, having a rule is not enough. And that's what we talked about in that episode. Having a rule is not enough. Management must also make the employee aware of the rule and the consequences for failure to follow the rule. That, that's, that's all you need right there for that rule. That, that's beautiful language. That's an arbitrator telling you a rule is not enough because management always wants to say, like I was talking about that episode, management always wants to say there is a rule and he violated it. So uh, what are we going to do? No, there's three parts to that. Management must also make the employee aware of the rule and the consequences for failure to follow the rule. That's good language. Y'all get that one. That's that's a good sight there. And he goes on and he talks about each sub-question. That's your template. That's a great template. Okay? I'm going to start on page 13. And this is where he talks about, was the disciplinary action taken in a timely manner? And listen to this language. Very good the incident happened on December 16th 2006 mr. McCoy called the Postal Service and was interviewed by the OIG on December 19th 2006 so the incident happened December 16th OIG contacted December 19th mr. McCoy provided documentation narrating the actions of the three Postal Service employees now let me stop right here and tell you what's going on in this case Three employees were taking coupons out of the UBBM, all right? They had UBBM centrally located. You know how all the carriers pour all their stuff into the UBBM. Three carriers were taking coupons out of the UBBM, but they were making management aware of it. Matter of fact, management it even would even initial the coupons that they were taking. And just like management always does, when it came time to tell the truth, they said we had no knowledge of it we didn't know Uh, they're stealing you know how they do but that that's what this is about so anyway I'll get back to it the documentation states that Miss Graham was interviewed on February 13th 2006 the arbitrator assumes that the interview occurred on 2007 on February 12 2007 the agreement was placed on emergency placement no evidence was offered concerning any management actions taken on this situation during the approximately eight-week period. On March 8, 2007, the report of investigation of the grievance was mailed to Postmaster Thomas Paulinski in Memphis, Tennessee. On March 15, 2007, Supervisor Sharon Harris conducted an investigative interview of the grievant. Ms. Harris testified that she submitted a request for concurrence from a higher-level official for the removal of the grievance on March 21, 2007, and issued a notice of removal dated March 28, 2007 that was effective on the close of business on May 4, 2007. In a case cited by the union in its brief, Arbitrator Raymond Britton was asked to decide whether the placement of the grievance on emergency placement met the requirements of article 16 section 7 of the national agreement. Arbitrator Britton states as follows. The difficulty with the position taken by the postal service is that if there was indeed an emergency situation involving the agreement justifying immediate action that management would have acted far more quickly than it did. The word emergency connotes a serious situation that demands immediate action, and the word immediate is normally used to mean without delay. Thus, by waiting nine days before issuing the emergency suspension, management, in effect, demonstrated that there was no need to act with the speed that is contemplated under Article 16.7 of the National Agreement. That's another good one for 16.7 right there, okay? That's nine days. Said uh, you waited nine days to issue the charges. That's too long. So that's a great, that's another great little sight there. In another case, cited by the union arbitrator, Roberta (laughs) Bayhackle, oh boy, states as follows. Here's what Miss Bayhackle, God bless her, here's what she says. There was no testimony or evidence presented by management that showed any reason for an almost six-week delay in issuing the notice of proposed removal. This clearly violated the grievance due process rights. Authority and responsibility must coincide. Management has the authority to set and administer work rules. Along with this authority goes the responsibility to ensure that if an employee is charged with a violation of a work rule, Due process must be given to the employee. In this case, it is the arbitrator's decision that management violated the grievance due process rights when it pro- awaited approximately eight weeks to issue discipline. Furthermore, the supervisor had approved the use of some of the coupons. By approving the grievance request, the supervisor communicated a message that coupons can be taken out of the UBBM if approved by a supervisor. So here's one that talks about eight weeks. Okay. Is too long, so we have a month. We have forty-seven days. We have six months. We have eight weeks. So, do you see that the issue that we have? There is no set time frame. We have to sell it to the arbitrator that the grievance due process rights are violated in the delay, and an advocate's going to work like hell to do that. Like I said when I started, it's a head scratcher because there really, isn't really no set days. Some arbitrators won't even consider it like I talked to you earlier. They won't even consider timeliness, which is foolish to me. But make the argument. Make the argument. All right? Get those sites. You can can plagiarize those sites. That's okay to do that. That language uh, makes you sound real official. Or you can just put the site in your contentions. Like I said, I do that. I put sites in my informal step A contentions. I'll quote from them. I'll copy and paste it in my contentions, and have that stuff looking really good, ready to go. But that one's a that one's a good little episode about timeliness. It's a good argument for us. It really is, especially if you have outside agencies like the OIG or FBI, outside agencies like the OIG or postal inspectors involved. They will screw up things all the time they're the biggest screw-ups in the postal service and so let's hold them accountable for that but look at your timeline of everything after the offense was committed start your clock right there not after the investigative interview after the offense was committed I got a carrier that had a wreck on this date management's clock starts right there if it's six seven eight weeks later and he's getting disciplined or she's getting disciplined, I'm making that contention that it's now untimely issued. All right? Next episode, I'm going to deal with some CCA discipline about corrective and not punitive. All right? I got some great sites. I've had some really good arbitrations on that. Really good arbitrations. And I've arbitrator Jacob's site on that. He's fantastic. One of my favorites. But he, he's got some good language on that. So this will help us out for the CCAs. But, uh, until then, man, y'all have a fantastic rest of the day. God bless you. And I'll see you on the next episode. All right. Bye-bye.